travel, it's one of life's greatest pleasures. When we journey abroad, we discover new places and meet fascinating people, but we also gain perspective and take on a wider view of the world around us. That was Trevor Ranges, and I'm Scott Coates. After more than 25 years living and working in Asia, we've developed an amazing network of interesting characters throughout the region. Talk Travel Asia is our way of sharing them with you. Plug in and get connected to hot tips, interesting perspectives, and expert travel advice as we cultivate travel insight through intelligent conversation. Welcome to Talk Travel Asia. We are at episode 30 already. Holy mackerel. And this one is Up and Coming Cambodia with Nick Ray. And Nick's an amazing guy, and we'll tell you a bit more about him soon. But uh, Cambodia, it's an amazing country, truly one of Asia's top destinations. I mean, they have the greatest testaments to human achievement, or one of them, and those are the temples of Angkor, to a super fun and vibrant capital, Phnom Penh, to sleepy seaside town of Kep, charming riverside town of Kampot, some emerging beach destinations in the southwest of the country, neat hill tribe communities in the northeast, and then countless number of rural areas. Really, it's a country that has it all, but people don't know a lot about it. So we're going to dive into some lesser-known spots today. I'm Scott Coates from Kuala Lumpur, and joining me as always is my trusty co-host... Hey, Scott. Trevor Ranges here. Uh, I think that was a pretty good intro. I think you you covered so much just in that one little speech that uh, hopefully, yeah, or, or at least everybody's excited to learn a little bit more about each of these places from our guest today, who's certainly an expert in this category. Yeah, and I mean, he's he is a great expert. And the first time I went to Cambodia, he was kind enough to have lunch with me and been lucky enough to meet him and he's not only is an expert but he's just a really down-to-earth nice guy and I mean in addition I mean we could really just interview you about this one I mean tell us a little bit more about the country and, and why there are a lot of unknown spots what's it got to offer man? yeah I mean Cambodia is obviously a big attraction because of the Angkor temples and I think a lot of people didn't get out into the more remote provinces many years ago because it was dangerous. Um, but that's no longer the case. So then it was more of a logistics problem is that Cambodia's roads were, were really horrible. But the country has grown economically, you know, quite a lot. They've been one of the fastest growing economies in the world, believe it or not. And, right. they, you know, the, the roads have gotten much, much better. So getting out to provinces like Ratanakiri or Mondalkiri, um, where there's a lot of hill tribes and a lot of more untouched uh, natural beauty, these places are much more accessible and much easier to get to. Um, but I think that people aren't yet devoting the amount of time to go and explore these areas yet. So I guess it falls to, to people like me and, and Nick who are writing guidebooks to promote the area to kind of tell people, hey, you know what, there's a lot more to Cambodia than just temples. Right, right. Well, before we get any further, Trevor, you like beer, right? I love beer. And I love beer too, but you know, living in Thailand where I used to live and you live there now, it can be a bit tricky to get anything but kind of a lager or maybe a, a Kilkenny or a Guinness if you go to a pub. So where can we get better beer? Well, thanks to our good friends at Beervana, today's sponsor, you can now get beer at the touch of a button using ah. your cell phone. Yeah. So uh, Beervana is a craft beer importer. They bring in rogue beers, Anderson Valley beers from the United States, mm -hmm. uh, Nogano from Norway, uh, some beers from Japan, 
uh, and, and they're available at more than 100 different venues all over Bangkok and Konkan and Chiang Mai and down in Phuket now. So while we suffered for beer for many years, now thanks to Beervana, you can get tasty craft beer just about everywhere in the kingdom. And expanding to Indonesia this year, right? Yeah, expanding into Indonesia very soon uh, and Vietnam as well, I believe. So if you want to find out exactly where, you can go to seekbeervana.com and there'll be a link to that on our show notes. So thank you very much to our sponsor, Beervana. That's sweet, man. So why don't you tell us maybe one of your kind of favorite off the beaten path sort of areas in Cambodia? Well, if I did that, then everyone would go there and, uh, you know. No, but I don't know. I mean, I, I'm a big temple geek. Um, and so I love trying to discover some of the more remote temples. And I'm not saying discover as in I'm the first person to go there, but there are many off the beaten path temples and areas that virtually no tourists still go to. And uh, if you travel by dirt bike, like exploring Cambodia by dirt bike mm. is still amazing. Because while the main roads are now nicely sealed, most of Cambodia's back roads are, are still dirt. And uh, they have a monsoon season and they get all muddy. And it's really fun to you know bump along these dancing roads, as they call them, to go and explore some of the more remote areas. So I'd say just you know throw a dart at the map, get yourself a dirt bike, maybe with Richard at CM Reup Dirt Bikes, and, and mm -hmm. go explore. I think that's the best tip. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, I've, I've been to quite a bit of the country, but there's still a ton of areas I want to go to. And uh, maybe we should just get right to our guests. Today, we're going to talk to longtime Cambodia resident and Lonely Planet author Nick Ray about Cambodia's up-and-coming hotspots. He knows as much about the country as any foreigner, has traveled most of its far corners, and is going to share with us some of his favorite not-so-well-known spots that he recommends hitting before the word gets out. So thanks so much for joining us today, Nick. Hi Scott, hi Trevor, great to be here. And where are you? Right now I'm actually sitting in Phnom Penh in Cambodia, right down in the, in the heart of the town in my apartment. Very good, very good. Well, let me lob a real easy first question uh, at you, Nick. Where are you from and when and why did you actually end up going to Cambodia? Yeah, I'm originally from the UK and I first went to Cambodia in 1995 as a sort of backpacker and journalist. Uh, probably more backpacking, less journalism back then, but they, the idea was at least to, to get more into writing. Um, and what drew me to Cambodia, I think, I studied history and politics at university and was always fascinated by Vietnam, Cambodia, Laos, you know, the legacy of war. And so the idea of the sort of glorious past of Angkor and the temples and then this very tragic modern-day Cambodia that, that happened in the last 30 or 40 years, that sort of juxtaposition was really uh, appealing. And uh, when I got here, it really delivered, you know, compared to all the other countries in the region. I loved Laos, I loved Vietnam, but Cambodia really somehow struck a chord. I said, you're already doing some journalism then, but how did you end up writing for Lonely Planet? Yeah, sure. I mean, I was doing sort of freelance articles, sort of social stories and political stories, less travel, because, you know, back then travel was a very crowded marketplace. Well, it still is, of course. And so uh, trying to get sort of bits of copy onto the desk of the Times editor or, you know, Condé Nast was a very tricky thing. So I was sort of going more for the social features and doing things like going out to landmine clearance sites with the Halo Trust and looking for angles, really, and looking for more political or social magazines. But then I kept coming back to Cambodia, sort of, you know, because it sort of got beneath my skin, came back in 96, came back in 97, etc. And I, that was in the days really before regular email. I mean, some people had it, but, you know, most people weren't using it regularly. And so I was corresponding with Lonely Planet in the good old-fashioned pen and paper method. And so I'd been sending them some feedback oh, wow. about, you know, here's, you know, here's some information on transport, here's some information on security. You know, I'm a, I'm a 
freelance journalist, I'm in the region, just let me know if you need any, any, any more information at any point. And they kind of logged my details, got back in touch with me by letter, and uh, basically snail mail, and they said, you know, we'll keep your name on record, and if anything comes up, we'd, uh, we'd be interested. And then the Southeast Asia on a shoestring 10th edition came up in 98, and they basically said, would I be interested in the Cambodia chapter? And of course I jumped at it. And I had to do a sample for them on a town or city I knew well. And by basically jumping through the hoops and succeeding, I was then offered a commission to do the Cambodia chapter for the so-called Backpacker Bible. Wow. And now, so you have been the Cambodia writer sort of since 98? Yeah, yeah. It's a bit scary, really. <laughs> 17 years ago. I mean, it's, it's been a juggle. And uh, obviously, uh, I was quite a bit younger then. I sort of grown up and, and grown up with, in a way, as Cambodia's grown up as a destination. You know, it started off as a sort of very hardcore, very adventurous, very wild east destination. But it has changed and uh, and sort of evolved over the years. And now we have, you know, super luxury resorts and uh, historic hotels, etc. And it attracts a wide range of visitors, which it didn't really do back in those days. But yeah, it's been 17 years and counting. Quite scary. Wow, that's quite some time. Well, I mean, you sort of mentioned that you were obviously drawn to Cambodia after you traveled the greater region. So what is it that you love so much about living and working in the country? I mean, for me, I obviously coming from England, where we suffer from uh, some dismal weather throughout the winter, I guess the weather is appealing. You know, it's lovely having, I mean, obviously this time of year, like in Thailand, you know, it's a little bit too hot sometimes in April and May. But broadly speaking, if you look at the rest of the year, it's, it's a great climate. You know, even the rainy season is not that wet. It just is heavy rain for short bursts. And then the winter months, as they call them, I wouldn't exactly call it winter by North American or European standards, but what they mm. would call the Cambodian winter from sort of November through to February. You know, it's beautiful. It's sort of breezy. The temperatures are kind of mid-20s or, you know, Fahrenheit, high 80s, but just really, really nice, almost Mediterranean. And so the climate's great. The people are wonderful. You know, the Cambodian people have a superb uh, reputation in the region for being among the most friendly, and I think that's well-deserved. So that despite the history, they're very warm and welcoming and open to foreigners, and they're really easy to engage with. And, uh, you know, just uh, the lifestyle and the culture, you know, it's still very much a, a motorbike country, despite the, the sort of boom in four-wheel drives in Phnom Penh. It's a great place to jump on two wheels and explore up country. And, uh, you know, just sort of, it's, yeah, just, just a really nice place to live. You know, you lose some creature comforts. Uh, it's not necessarily Singapore or Bangkok or certainly not London or New York. But on the other hand, it's a, it's a fascinating country that's been in, uh, in a great pace of change over the years. And it's been really uh, rewarding to see that. Yeah, you know, as a travel writer myself, I, I think it's cool how you can see different places evolve or change. And uh, having been in Cambodia for so long and, and Cambodia having developed and changed so quickly, you must have seen uh, lots of interesting changes occur in the country, yeah? Yeah, I mean, it's been incredible. I mean, you know, if, if I sort of think back to 20 years ago when I first came, you know, Phnom Penh was basically unpaved streets, you know, giant potholes, uh, a lack of electricity and power, you know, constant power cuts, lack of street lighting, uh, terrible sewage, you know, open drains, and quite dangerous, you know, that was quite edgy. You still in the countryside had the civil war, and in the city you had a real, uh, a real sort of large number of guns around and quite a high crime rate, therefore. So, you know, people didn't tend to go out at night. The travelers that were in Phnom Penh, their guest houses encouraged them to stay in. And those that were brave enough to go out to the, you know, the, the very nascent early days, heart of darkness or something like that, they were rewarded with a good night, but it was not without risk back then. And of course, you know, obviously the infrastructure's changed a lot. The logistics have changed. It's all improved, you know, paved roads, regular power, a fantastic range of restaurants and really nice boutique hotels. I mean, everywhere's changed in Cambodia, but Phnom Penh 
Maidenhead in particular, as you know, you really notice it because uh, as the capital, it was a very rundown capital back then for a whole series of obvious reasons linked to genocide, civil war, and so on. But um, it's really sort of bounced back quickly, and I think that that twenty years is. You know, if you could sort of go back in a time machine, it, you know, I'd probably be shocked myself and trying to remember how, how rough it actually was back in the days. And now it's a much changed place. And in the countryside, in some ways, it's even better because, you know, then the roads were hideous. You know, you'd, you'd have days to travel just, say, 200, 300 miles. You know, a few hundred kilometers might take you two or three days to get up to Ratnakiri. It wasn't safe to go to Siem Reap by land. It wasn't safe to go to Badambong by land. And now these are all basically regular bus routes with luxury air-conditioned buses with their, you know, TV and karaoke on board. It's, it's, it's a completely changed travel landscape over that period. Yeah, that's that's wild. I think even I've only been going there for ten years, but every time I go to Phnom Penh, I'm kind of amazed how much it has changed. So you've been there darn near twenty. Like that's got to be some huge changes. So so Nick, for our listeners, I mean, a lot of people obviously know about Siem Reap, and they they're familiar with the fact there's temples there, and they might know a little bit about Phnom Penh. So in in a broad strokes, before we get to some of the specific spots. What else for our listeners that maybe don't know the country so well does Cambodia have to offer besides the temples of Angkor and, and then, of course, the capital Phnom Penh? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, broadly speaking, in the northeast, it's very much a sort of ecotourism and adventure destination. So you've got provinces like Mondulkiri and Ratanakiri with minority peoples, uh, wildlife, so elephants in the Elephant Valley Project where you can walk with the herd, no riding. Uh, waterfalls and uh, traditional architecture and also gibbon spotting opportunities and also in the Mekong River dolphin spotting some of the world's uh, rarest freshwater dolphins the Irrawaddy dolphins Moving into other areas, South Coast is emerging. Obviously, places like Thailand, Vietnam, Indonesia, the Philippines, they get all the headlines for the beaches. But actually, Cambodia is no slouch there. Cambodia's got some amazing beaches and a great coastline. So you've got places like Sihanoukville, the main beach destination. You've got the up-and-coming sort of boutique destination of Kep. And then you've got the islands, which compared with Thailand are very much untapped and offer huge potential for the future. So Koh Rong, Koh Rong Samlon, Koh Tang, and all these places. So the islands are really pretty much probably like the Thai islands were in the late 80s. So we're talking, you know, it's a very different sort of uh, place at the moment in a very different sort of development scale compared to some of the neighbours. And then another interesting area would be the far north. So going up towards the Thai border and the Lao border, sort of north of Angkor, north of Siem Reap. Up there, you've got some very remote temples. They're in some ways the equal of the main temples at Angkor, places like Prayer Vihir, Koker, Prayer Khan, Bante Chamar. But these mm. remote temples are just spectacular because you see very few visitors. So it's like temples without the tourists. It's like going to Angkor in the early 1990s. Wow. Yeah, you know, when you're mentioning this laundry list of kind of places to go, um, in, in my opinion, like Ratanakiri, Mandalkiri are, are very beautiful. They're very different from the Siem Reap area. The, the coast is certainly beautiful. In my opinion, I think there's almost too many places for, for tourists to go in, let's say, a week or two weeks than, than they even realize. So with that in mind, if someone only had, let's say, two weeks and they did want to do the temples, um, what's like one place you, you think that everybody should go to now while it's still, you know, a bit more authentic Cambodian and not spoiled by tourism? Yeah, again, a great question. I would say, um, you know, if they're into beaches, get to those islands before they explode and before, before they turn into the next Koh Samui or the next Phu Kok. 
Um, if they're into nature and ecotourism, I'd say the combination of Crache and Mondulkiri. So, you know, your Mekong River, your dolphins, your traditional Cambodian lifestyle, and then elevation up into the mountains where it's a bit cooler and see the elephants and the waterfalls and learn about the Bunong traditional lifestyle. Though Those two would kind of stand out for me. The other ecotourism destination that we didn't mention first time, but is really uh, sort of making the headlines in, in the global press and in the ecotourism community, are the Cardamom Mountains. These are in the southwest, and there's the gateway through Kokong near the Thai border. And there's a lot of ecotourism activities in this area, including you know, a bit of uh, kayaking and rafting, trekking, mountain biking, and there's also a wildlife release center run by Wildlife Alliance, one of the leading NGOs here for wildlife protection, and that's near Chipat, a famous ecotourism destination. And you can go there and actually partake in some of their release activities and see how they're trying to rehabilitate uh, sun bears, um, pangolins, and other animals. So it's a real hands-on way to get involved in wildlife conservation and protection. Very cool, very cool. So Nick, now we're going to put you on the spot a, a bit, I think with specific sort of locales. I mean, you've touched on the fact that there's the north, there's the minority areas, there's the beach. I mean, if you need some sea, a sea escape, where would you go that maybe people don't know about without completely ruining the place either? <laughs> That's a great question. I mean, obviously, you know, if you want a bit of a balance, the, the two islands of Koh Rong and Koh Rong Samlon are two of the bigger ones off the coast of Sihanoukville. Now, they do have developed beaches there with, you know, a sort of cluster of backpacker guest houses. But because they're quite large, there's also large stretches of empty beach where there may only be one small bungalow resort. So you can go to somewhere like Koh Rong and go and stay on a place like Pura Vita, which is a little little resort on its own stretch of beach. And it's where they filmed episodes of uh, Koh Lanta, which is French Survivor. And they've also filmed the mm -hmm. Bulgarian Survivor show there. And actually, as we speak, the US Survivor show is filming two whole series on Koh Rong. So they're going to be bedded in there for a few months. So that shows you how spectacular it is. Wow. Very cool. Um, but other beaches, just to sort of carry on there, there's, mm. um, if you want something really, really quiet and really off the beaten track, if you go over to further west to Koh Kong, there is actually an island of the same name. So Koh Kong is a province, it's mm -hmm. a town, and just off the coast is Cambodia's largest island, not far from Koh Chang in Thailand, Koh Kong. And Koh Kong, so far to date, only has one or two bungalow sets on the whole island. So this is a place that's massive, you know, one of, you know, it's sort of almost the size of Koh Phangan, and it's got literally one or two bungalow operations. Wow. Wow. So that's good to give us a little secret spot of yours to, to give to some of our listeners because, you know, one of the ironies, I think, is that, uh, you know, you write The Lonely Planet. So many people go to where The Lonely Planet tells them to. And with all of these TV shows being recorded on Korong, like that's obviously going to be on the map now. Whereas a place like Crache, which I think has really great charm, I think is still getting bypassed uh, literally by, by so many people. How do you think some of those more remote areas can, can draw some more tourists? Uh, because I, I think economically they need them and, and visitors would actually enjoy them a lot. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, it's, it's a great, it's sort of, it's, it's quite um, sad, really, that so many backpackers do, do just pass through. And that's obviously a sort of legacy of better infrastructure. So, you know, what I mentioned, that's a good thing, making traveling and journeys easier is also a bad thing because it gives people the chance to skip. In the past, 10, 15 years ago, you had to stop in Crache because, you know, that's where you had to break the journey because the roads were so bad. These days, you can jump in a bus in Paxe and thunder straight down the highway to Phnom Penh, or you can boomerang off to the west and Siem Reap. So people are actually missing these cool destinations and places because they're in such a hurry to get somewhere else. I think for me, I mean, Crache is a good one just to dwell on because I, I love the place as well. You know, it's got some of the best Mekong sunsets anywhere on the river. 
and it's got a it's it's just such an accessible gateway to traditional Cambodian life. You know, basically you've got this beautiful island just across from the town called Kotrong, where you can go across, rent a bicycle and poodle around, see, you know, see them growing fruit and vegetables, you know, go into a household and try a cup of tea and try some local rice cakes and snacks. And then just, you know, just up river a little bit, you've got the, the freshwater dolphins we already mentioned, some lovely temples, very, very traditional, very old, dating back to more than a hundred years ago. And you don't get many surviving from that period because of the Khmer legacy a lot of them were destroyed or converted so there's a there's a beautiful old wooden temples in that area and so you know certainly that's the one thing I'd stress if anyone's traveling between Laos and Cambodia definitely make the time to stop in Krache and going further east to Mondulkiri and Ratnakiri it's getting easier to connect that northeast loop now in the past you kind of dead-ended in Mondulkiri and then you dead-ended in Ratnakiri because the road between them was known as the death highway this was like in, you know it's famous in guidebooks and basically uh, many a motorbiker came a cropper there I mean they didn't die but you know they they had trouble wow. breakdowns ran out of water a lot of misadventures happened there that's now been upgraded mm. to not necessarily a tarmac highway yet but they they've put a bridge over the river at Lumpat and it's basically wow. a very wide dirt road and you can get between Ratnakiri and Mondulkiri now in about two hours so to do that whole loop Krache Mondulkiri Ratnakiri it's very much open for business now Wow, wow. Well, I mean, you're into the Northeast kind of, I mean, hill tribe country might not be the right word. And I know that there's other mountainous areas in Cambodia. Let's say somebody does want sort of a mountainous escape. Where where do you think is the great kind of unknown at this moment? Well, I think, yeah, you know, Mondulkiri, Ratnakiri tick those boxes to some extent. And Virachay National Park is one of Cambodia's largest national parks. Yeah. And that's in the far northeast of Ratnakiri, bordering Laos and Vietnam. Obviously, you know, on the negative side, Cambodia has had a, a, a massive problem with uh, logging and the environmental issues don't go away. It's still going on. But that said, it's a huge park and there's still some amazing areas. Like you can do seven day treks into the, the grasslands and, you know, you can actually see real wildlife that's still out there. Even the rangers haven't explored it all. It's so vast, you know, and it's very understaffed. And then literally the opposite end of the country, which we just uh, touched on earlier, is the Cardamom Mountains. And so using Chipat or Kokong or Pursat as gateways, even Pailin in the west near Badenbong, that is a vast untapped area. Now, it is being tapped up at the moment for hydropower, and that has sort of basically bulldozed some roads in there, which isn't great. But on the other hand, it gives access. So, you know, if you people can actually get in there now, which they couldn't before. And you can also use the rivers to get deep in there. So there's a few little ecotourism operators that were taking people off the beaten path. And if you want to do just, say, three or four days going into the kind of last, one of the last jungle frontiers of Southeast Asia, then the cardamoms definitely tick all those boxes. Yeah, that's kind of the, the last frontier, I guess, of uh, really getting away from it, from it all. Um, perhaps other than Virche, like you mentioned. Uh, you, you, in the introduction, or when we first talked to you, you talked about uh, your love of the culture, which is obviously one reason why you've stayed there for so long. Um, but for some of our listeners who maybe haven't been to Cambodia, what is something that people might need to know about, about the, the people and the culture of Cambodia? Um, you know, I think some of it sort of crosses borders, traverses borders, and you have it in other parts of Southeast Asia, but it never hurts to sort of revisit those things. I mean, obviously, uh, the, the pagoda or the temple, the Wat, is a very important part of, uh, of a Cambodian Buddhist life, and a lot of visitors will go to these temples, be it in Phnom Penh or in the provinces, and obviously there's certain rules and etiquette there. Most of them will be familiar, but, you know, removing your shoes before you enter, removing hats before you enter, 
And really, I suppose the main one for, for backpackers in particular is, is dress code, you know, dressing appropriately. So remembering that you're not coming from sort of Copangang full moon party or from Koh Samui. You know, this is quite a conservative country by comparison with some of the neighbours. So dressing appropriately. So, you know, sleeves to the elbow, shorts to the knee, and just basically looking like you're going to the, you know, the Cambodian equivalent of a church rather than going to a rave. So, though, you know, things like dress code are sometimes easily forgotten by people, but um, they are very important and maybe more so in Cambodia than some of the neighbours. And that kind of also goes for the beach. You know, it's, it's, it's a bit more traditional there. If you look at how Cambodians tend to bathe, they normally bathe fully clothed, many of them. So that gives you an idea of how traditional they are. Now, we're not suggesting visitors and backpackers should follow suit and jump in in their clothes. But at the same time, you know, in a, a really skimpy bikini, kind of a Brazilian style, is, is maybe not going to be that popular. The locals are going to sort of raise their eyebrows and they may not say anything, but that's, you know, that's something that they might be thinking. And the, the other thing I suppose to remember is, you know, if you're on the beach, then that's one thing, and it's fair enough to be in a bikini or to be in, you know, speedos if you want to be. But as soon as you walk away from the beach, it's a town, it's a, and quite a traditional town. So you know, always remember a sarong or a towel or some sort of covering once you're away from the beach. And that sort of goes, you know, I find that the problem also sometimes at Angkor, sometimes even Phnom Penh. Yes, it's hot, but that doesn't necessarily make it sensible to pull your t-shirt off. You know, you see a lot of guys, you know, foreign backpackers or tourists wandering down a, a busy sort of business district in Phnom Penh with no top on. You're like, mm, would you do that at home? Not necessarily, maybe in a park, but you know, not wandering down the street. So it's just trying to get people to be aware of, of, of dress codes and attitudes because Cambodia is really quite traditional and I'd say perhaps more so than than some of its neighbors. Great points, great points. You know, you, your comparison of visiting a, a Wat to visiting a church is, is, is a perfect analogy because people would never show up in their flip-flops, dirty and ripped shorts and a, and a tank top. So yeah, that's a great, great analogy. Nick, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, you're a guy that I feel very lucky to have met a few times in person and uh, you've been very kind with your time. So thanks so much for joining us. But before we go, I know that you and your wife Kulikar uh, have a movie that people can see. Can you tell us a wee bit about that before we let you go? Yeah, sure. Thank you, Scott. I mean, we, uh, we've had a film production company over in Cambodia going right back to the days of Tomb Raider called Hanuman Films. And so I was, you know, the okay. uh, location manager on Tomb Raider. Kulika was the line producer. And we've done sort of hundreds of projects since, basically, for the BBC, National Geographic, Discovery, and so forth. And we've more recently, we've done some independent feature films for other people, such as Wish You Were Here with Joel Edgerton, the Australian film, and a film called Ruin, which mm -hmm. won an award at the Venice Film Festival a couple of years ago. But we've never actually, until this point, done our own full feature production and so we, we waded in uh, starting in 2013 and we made a film called The Last Reel and it had its world premiere mm -hmm. at the Tokyo International Film Festival in October 2014 and uh, amazingly it scooped the Spirit of Asia Award so first festival world premiere and it wow. got an award which was great news and it's since gone on to about uh, nearly 10 festivals around the world including the US uh, other parts of Europe and Asia and it's just recently uh, last week it won the Black Dragon Award at the Far East Film Festival in Italy so it's going along really nicely and uh, hopefully at some stage it'll get a regional rollout it's due for release in Cambodia in August in cinemas although there's not that many cinemas <laughs> but we're hoping at some point through a re regional distribution deal mm -hmm. that um, we'll, we'll get it into some selected cinemas in Thailand Singapore, Hong Kong, etc. Wow, congratulations. Awesome. How, how, is there anywhere that people can see it now? Like, can you download it online or anything like that? 
Unfortunately, not yet, but we'll be sure to update you when it's possible. At the moment, it's still doing the festival circuit, so you're not allowed to, to have it available online yet. But as soon as it goes oh. on general release and we stop the festivals, then we'll certainly put it on a video-on-demand platform such as Netflix or you know Amazon or iTunes, etc. Perfect. Well, can't wait to see it, Nick. And uh, thanks so much again for your time and joining us. No problems. We'll give you guys an exclusive. I'll send you a link. <laughs> great. Thanks, Nick. Wow, so yeah, really great insights from someone who's likely witnessed the modern evolution of Cambodia, at least certainly from a, a tourism standpoint, more than any other foreigner. Yeah, he sure has. I mean, I moved to Thailand in 99, and I remember at that time, the first year or two, um, it was in the news. Like a couple people had been kidnapped off a train uh, in the far west of Cambodia yeah. near Siem Reap. And like at that time, it was still pretty wild west, let alone Nick had started going there like, what, about 96? So yeah, that guy is truly seeing that country transform massively. Yeah, you know, at the same time, like having spent a lot of time there myself and, and yourself, I found it really interesting that some of the quote off the beaten path areas um, are, are still off the beaten path, um, while some, to our surprise, are really blowing up. Like, I can't believe, I mean, it seems natural, but that you could get from Sen Monorom Mondalkiri to Ben Lung Ratanakiri in two hours is just amazing. Yeah, I've never traveled that route. It's on my list. But yeah, I mean, there's those areas get easier to travel, they'll certainly become mainstream. And you know, on the flip side of that, I found it really pretty wild um, how Nick said that Kratzi, which was once everyone stayed there because the journey took so long from Laos to Phnom Penh or vice versa, that you just had to break it up and stay there. But now people can just blaze it in a day on a bus. So they're actually not stopping somewhere. So you're sort of going from a place like, I mean, it was never a huge hotspot, but somewhere everywhere one went to place that fewer people are going. So it's kind of weird how improved infrastructure can actually make a place a little quieter by the sounds of it. Yeah, it's so ironic too, because the, the, the roads along the riverfront in Crache are paved so nicely and they have garbage bins everywhere, so it's really clean. Um, but yeah, now there's also a road from Stung Treng that cuts across uh, Priya Vihir province to Siem Reap. So people coming from Laos can go straight to Siem Reap without with skipping Krache altogether. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, it's like, it's this really beautiful place. So, so I don't know, maybe there's the good and bad things about development for, for not making places uh, too touristy. But uh, Nick definitely mentioned a lot of places that are still well worth visiting that people just aren't getting to because they're not going to Cambodia for long enough. Yeah, and I mean, most people, the majority of people, often myself included, I'm not going to go somewhere that's going to require 10, 11, 12 hours on a, a dusty dirt road. And and Cambodia, while it's getting better roads, which is great for the country and people, you still don't have to go very far off the main drag or out of a larger center and really feel like you're away from it all. No, not at all. Um, so yeah, it's definitely more accessible. And, and honestly, more people are going. Like he was talking about Koh Rong um, having all these resorts and resorts on, on private beaches and stuff. And, and you and I had talked about doing something like that. And, uh, you know, it, it, there was a lot of opportunity for growth there and, and apparently it's, it's happening. Yeah. Well, he's a fascinating, super nice guy. Every time I've met him, man, he's, he's just a fun guy and really kind with his time. So, uh, I can't wait to see his film and it was great to have him on and maybe we'll have him on again sometime. So, uh, why don't you wrap this thing up for us, Trevor? Yeah, I agree. I think uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing that film and uh, maybe we can crash one of his parties again soon. <laughs> yeah, that could be on Travel Tales 3. Yeah, for those of you listening, you're going to have to wait for Travel Tales 3 to hear the story of Scott and I crashing one of Nick's parties uh, many years ago. <laughs> um, otherwise, thanks for listening and be sure to come back and listen to us in two weeks when we're going to have another interesting episode. 
Thanks for joining us on Talk Travel Asia. We look forward to sharing with you again soon. Hey Scott, do you remember the time we walked on top of the wall at Angkor Thom and 